Bibles, please. And let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Don't think the microphones are on, Nathan. Oh, well, I'll just have to speak loudly, I suppose. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, and uh, we're going to look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege we have of coming together uh, around your word, Father. Uh, Lord, we, your word is precious, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, that you have instructed us in your word and through your word. We thank you that in your word we can find you, and we can find our Saviour, and we pray that today as we open up your word once again that you would minister to us and through us, uh, that Lord God you use your word to be a blessing to our hearts, encourage uh, each and every one of us, Father God, through your word, guide me today, give me wisdom as I preach, that I might bring glory to your name, and just bless now we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. As we uh, travel through Romans chapter 12 here, we come to a new subsection in Romans chapter 12 with the commencement of verse 9 which uh, goes on to the end of the chapter and as we look at this subsection of Romans 12 it's very important that we should remind ourselves of the context of what we're about to study in this chapter the apostle begins to deal with the practical application and the outworking of the great doctrines that he has been laying down in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans we have seen that this chapter can be divided as follows. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are a general introduction to the remainder of the book of Romans, or the rest of the epistle, laying down the great overriding principles that govern the Christian conduct. Then the subsection, which runs from verse 3 through verse 8, deals with the Christian in the church, and deals with the Christian exercising within the church the various gifts that the Spirit of God gives to every believer for the proper functioning of the church. And from Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul is dealing with the general conduct and behaviour of Christians as individuals. In verses 12, 9 to 13, he deals with the importance of demonstrating love to fellow believers. And then in verses 14 to 21, he broadens that responsibility to include non-believers. So as we come to Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 this morning, we see firstly that we are to love the brethren. It says in verse 9, love, let love be without dissimulation. Behold that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Let love be without dissimulation. Paul has just exhorted the Roman believers to do the job that God has empowered them to do. And in so doing, he has encouraged each and every one of us as believers to fulfill the responsibility that God's given to us, that we would do the job that God's given to us. And in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, he has listed for us some of the gifts that God wants us to exercise or that we should exercise that God has given to us. He says, if you have the gift of prophecy, then prophesy. If you have the gift of ministry, then serve. If you have the gift of teaching, then use it to teach. And he goes through seven gifts encouraging the Romans and encouraging believers to use their gifts to the glory of God and the service of God within the bounds of the local church. 
But then like a bolt out of the blue, he says, let love be without dissimulation. Almost against the flow of the subject matter, he gives the command to love. He's been talking about you and I pursuing the perfect will of God. He's been talking about you and I surrendering ourselves as living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God. He's talking about the practical application, that is that you and I use our gifts, the God-given gifts that we have for God's glory. And then he says, let love be without dissimulation. It's exactly the same in 1 Corinthians. Where the chapters on the gifts, chapter 12 and chapter 14 of Corinthians, are interrupted by the chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13. Now the question that arises is, what has love to do? <coughs> excuse me. What does love to do with ex exercising our spiritual gifts? <coughs> Excuse me. What does love to do with us ex exercising our spiritual gifts? We need to understand that the word love here is the Greek word agape. It's the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the word agape, the agape love here, is that love that Jesus Christ showed to all of us. It's the love that sent him to Calvary. It's the love that caused him to die in our place. It's the love which he displayed when he hung on that cross and shed his precious blood for us. It's that love of Christ that's been mentioned here, that sacrificial love. It's also the love that Jesus said would be the signature of all true believers. In John chapter 13, Verses 34 and 35, he said, By this, that's their agape love, shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love, agape, one toward another. It seems right then to conclude that the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, need to be exercised within the context of agape love. We find an extended definition of agape love in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's turn there, 1 Corinthians 13. And remind ourselves what agape love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13. And verse 4. The word charity here is the word agape. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fall, fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease, and whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So love is very distinctive. This agape love is a very sacrificial love. It's not self-centered. It's not self-interested. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that considers the needs of others. It's a love that gives of itself for others, even though the others don't need it. It's a love that gives, just like Christ gave himself for us. We find an extended definition, as I said, of love here in 1 Corinthians which is found right between the two chapters on spiritual gifts, chapter 12 and chapter 13 of 
of First uh, Corinthians. Look at First Corinthians 13, if you would please. First Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Remember again, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth it not. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Then chapter 14 starts, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy and so on. So we're to follow after charity and then desire spiritual gifts. So these two chapters, chapters 12 and chapter 14 of Corinthians, are nestled, uh, nestled between them is this chapter on love. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Because here is another passage on spiritual gifts. And you'll notice that these spiritual gifts are to be exercised for the benefit of the church. In chapter 4 and verse 7 we read this, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So God gave gifts to men, and he gave those gifted men under the church. And then notice verses 13 to 15. He says this, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and of the perfect man, and the measure of the stature of the forms of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lay and won't deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him all things which is the head, even Christ. The speaking of the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, teachers, all these God-gifted men are to speak the truth in agape love. So Corinthians talks about spiritual gifts and nestles in the middle of it, love. Ephesians talks about spiritual gifts and talks about those gifts being exercised in love. And here in Romans, we find that we've just been given a lift of seven gifts that we're to exercise as believers and immediately says, let, let us love without dissimulation. Because love is so important when it comes to exercising the gifts that God's given to us. It's vital that we understand that agape love is the correct context, if you like, for the exercise of spiritual gifts. You and I cannot exercise spiritual gifts if we are not practicing agape love. And the reason that is because agape love is not self-centered. Because it does not seek to make self Gain, it exalts Christ. And so the gifts that we have are not to be used for our glory. They're not to be used for our benefit. They're not to be used so that we can uh, see God work uh, on our behalf. We're to use them for his glory, for the benefit of others. They're not to be self-centered. They are to be used for the ministry of Christ, the glory of God. It's the exercise of gifts. You know, like agape love is the check that we are given to ensure that what God gives us will be used for God and not self. That you'll know I never will become so proud about the gift that God's given us that we use it for self-gratification, self-glory, 
but that we always use it for God's glory, for God's purpose, for the edification of the body, the church. And that will we'll use our God-given gifts the way God intended them to be used for the edification of others to the glory of God. And now what follows in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 22, is one of the finest descriptions of Christian character in the word of God. Revelation 12, oh sorry, Revelation, Romans 12, 17 and 21 sets forth our responsibility to the unbeliever, while Romans 12, 9 through 16 sets forth some qualities of godly character with regard to exercising our gifts towards others. How do we demonstrate our love to others? How do we demonstrate agape love to other believers? There are 20 exhortations listed here that cover 13 different subjects. If you want to give this a title, if you want to give Romans 12, 9 through 21 a title, this is Salvation in Action. And what we have listed for us here is how it ought to look. How should Christianity look to fellow believers? How should it look to the unsaved? How should Christian love look? When people look into the church, how should Christian love look? What should they observe? What are the characteristics of Christian love? Now we're not going to get through 20 exhortations and 30 different subjects today. As you can imagine, we are going to look at the first exhortation. The first exhortation regarding the demonstration of love to fellow believers is that we are to love the brethren with sincerity. Look again in verse 9. Love, let love be without dissimulation. Let love be without dissimulation. That is, without hypocrisy or pretense. We are to love with agape love with sincerity. One commentator said this little sentence implies more than it says. Love was so prevalent and so strongly characterized the church that he who had it not was tempted to simulate it. There was a temptation within the early church that if you didn't have agape love, to pretend you did. To love with dissimulation, to love without sincerity, to love with hypocrisy. You know, it's to say, I love you because I have to, not because I really do. And there was this danger, there was a sense in the early church whereby they knew that a characteristic of born-again believers was love because by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one for another, that people were practicing it without actually experiencing it. So love was fake. And genuine love was something that seems to have been lacking even in the church at Rome. Because when Paul is writing later from prison in Rome he writes the Philippians and notice what he says to them go with me to Philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19 now Paul's in prison in Rome and he writes this to the church at Philippi he says this 
For I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. He was writing from Rome about his desire to send Timothy to the church of Philippi that he might know what they're up to. And he makes the statement in verse 21 that everybody else, <laughs> you can't find anybody like-minded in verse 20, for they all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ. Paul couldn't visit this much-loved church in Philippi, but neither could he find someone in Rome who would naturally, genuinely, sincerely care for their state. He had to look to Timothy, who, by the way, was in Ephesus. And the reason for that was because they only cared for themselves. And so when he writes the church at Rome, here in this book of Romans, he reminds them that love must be sincere. Love must be real. Love must be genuine. Love must be from the heart. You and I are to love with agape love. And when you and I have worked out what agape love is, then God doesn't want us to bung it on, so to speak. He wants us to be sincere and genuine about it. One commentator said this, to claim we love when we do not have, and when we do not, is a travesty. God doesn't want any mass or patronizing half-hearted love. He wants the real thing. That's why we need to be careful not to get our definition of love from movies or from soap operas or from the world. We have to get our definition of love from God. Somebody said it's a tragic thing that the greatest grace of the Christian life is sometimes made a cloak, cloak of hypocrisy. We are to have love one for another, and by this shall all men know that we are his disciples, for we have love one for another. But the tragedy is, as the commentators said, that that Christian grace of love is sometimes made a cloak of hypocrisy. Well, to love sincerely, genuinely. And love is an essential force in producing the characteristics of Rome. The book of Romans. The characteristics listed here in the book of Romans can only be exercised in the environment of love. If you and I don't have a genuine, heartfelt, agape love, then all of our work will not be what it ought to be. That's why we must love each other without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. The second exhortation regarding the demonstration of love to fellow believers is that we'd love the brethren with purity, with sincerity and with purity. He goes and says in verse 9, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Now the two words, abhor and cleave, go together. In the Greek, these two words are a subordinate clause to let love be without dissimulation. In other words, so the superior clause is let love be without dissimulation. And then these two words, abhor and cleave, explain what it looks like. If you want to know what it looks like to love without hypocrisy, 
without dissimulation, then this is the characteristics. These two go together as a subordinate phrase to without dissimulation. In the Greek, the three ideas run together. Let love be without dissimulation, abhorring evil, and cleaving to good. This tells us that agape love has boundaries. There's things that agape love should not do and will not do, and there are things that agape love should do and will do. And we're to exercise love for each other within these two boundaries. It's like God has placed a fence around agape love. And he said everything within that boundary is what agape love looks like and everything outside of that boundary is what agape love should not be. We're to love while at the same time we are to abhor that which is evil, he says there in verse 9. Abhor that which is evil. The Greek word abhor is a strong one that means to shrink from, to hate. We are to hate evil. We are to draw back from evil. We must turn in disgust from evil. If we genuinely love with agape love, you and I will turn in disgust from evil. Now, the English word of whore means to regard with horror or loathing, to reject vehemently. You and I are to hate evil. Psalm 97.10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Love is not pure, somebody said, except when it is the enemy of evil. Love is not pure except when it's the enemy of evil. And here we have a good test of love. Whether or not we genuinely love with agape love, here is the test. Because it's only true love when you and I abhor evil. When you and I hate evil, when you and I cleave to good, when you and I do these two things, then that is genuine love. Here is a test of our love. I mean, there's so much love today on the TV screens and on movies, but it's not agape love. It's not a love of God, because that love, generally speaking, is evil. It's not a love that, that hates or abhors fornication, Adultery, deception, home-breaking, treachery. For the most part, what we see on our TV screens and in the movies is self-centered love, it's selfishness, it's fleshly, not spiritual, it's man-centered, not godly. It's a love that gravitates towards that which is evil. But true love, genuine love for God and a genuine love of God abhors evil hates evil, rejects evil, vehemently opposes evil. A genuine love does not overlook that which worldly love tends to embrace. In 1 Thessalonians 5.22, we're told to abstain from all the appearance of evil. The term appearance means form or that which is seen. 
And so when we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.22 to abstain from all appearance of evil, it means that we're to abstain from evil in whatever form it presents itself. That's true love. That you and I will abstain from all forms of evil, however that evil presents itself, you and I will vehemently oppose it. We'll abhor it. Somebody said the love we ought to have shrinks from the evil things of the evil one. If we have genuine agape love, if we genuinely love the Lord as we ought to love him, and genuinely love each other as we ought to love, then you and I will genuinely hate evil. But you know the truth is some believers try to get as close to sin and evil as possible without actually being involved in it, if you like. You know, they're like a child who prayed, Lord, make me good, not real good, but just good enough to keep me from getting spanked. But that's not the product of true love. Lord, help me be good, but not too good. Why are we still to do some things that aren't really bad? But that's not true love. True love is that you and I abhor evil. So it says that we're to keep it far away from sin as possible, and it says, in contrast, we are to cleave to good. Verse 9 again. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. The word cleave in the Greek text means to glue, to adhere. It's the idea of being joined together. Somebody put it this way, glue yourself fast to the good thing. We're to be stuck like glue to that which is good. In other words, we're supposed to be running away from that which is evil. And we're supposed to be sticking to that which is good. Now Paul tells Timothy later on in Timothy, he tells him to flee these things, all unrighteousness, and follow after righteousness. That's the idea here. We're to flee, we're to run from that which is evil, and we're to run towards that which is good, and we're to cleave onto that which is good, we're to hold tight to it, we're glued to it, and that which is evil is supposed to be over here, and that which is good is over here, and we're supposed to cleave to that which is good. The opposite ends of the spectrum, we're supposed to be running from evil and running towards that which is good. Agape love sticks to the good like a magnet, pushes away from the negative things and pulls towards the positive. As believers, you and I are supposed to be dragged towards that which is good. We're supposed to be pulled like a magnet to that which is good and we're supposed to hate, abhor that which is evil and hate it so much that we're running as fast as we can in the other direction towards that which is good. That's genuine agape love you and I cannot cling to good unless we hate evil can't do both we can't cling to that which is evil we can't love evil and cling to good they don't exist in the same place that which is good's inside the boundary that which is bad's outside the boundary and you can't be in both places you're either outside the boundary or in the boundary 
Somebody said we're to shun evil as the world as we would a contagious disease. And we're going to cling to that which is good as a man who cannot swim clings to a lifesaver. See, we're challenged here in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, to wed ourselves to goodness. When the Bible says that by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another, what it's describing is character. When people look at you and I as the church, when they look at us as believers and they look at this body, what they ought to observe is this characteristic that you and I are fleeing evil and cleaving to good. They ought to be able to identify the difference. But you and I have wedded ourselves to goodness. Pastor Mitchell in his commentary on Romans said this, in the context of the body of Christ... We can say how such genuine love operates. It shuns evil companions. It keeps away from the rebellious dissenting voices. It doesn't rejoice in others' failures. It doesn't cause strife among the brethren. It doesn't stab the leaders in the back. It doesn't put people down. It doesn't ignore people who it might not get along with. It doesn't include some and exclude others. It abhors these evil things that God's word condemns. But on the other hand... It is a love that is always courteous and genuinely glad to see others. It's kind and giving. It's helpful and generous. A love that encourages others to do the right thing that wants to serve Christ at all costs. That's agape love. And we're to demonstrate that love to each other. We're to demonstrate to the Lord we're to demonstrate to each other. And if we're going to demonstrate this love, we do it by abhorring evil and clinging to the good. These are the boundaries of biblical love. If you want to know what biblical love looks like, then these are the boundaries. These are the boundaries of Christian love, the love of God. Abhorring evil, clinging to good. And the reality is this, if you and I are ever asked to sin to show that we love someone, then we should forget it. It's inappropriate. It'll backfire. Particularly young people. You know, if somebody says to you, if you really love me, you'll do this. If the thing they're asked you to do is wrong, then that's not love. It's selfishness. Or something else, but it's not love. Love will never ask you to do that which is wrong. Genuine, God-felt, heartfelt, agape love will always ask you to do that which is good, never that which is bad. So if anybody ever asked you to do something because you love them that's wrong, then they don't love you. Because love... God's love never, ever asks us to do that which is contrary to the character of God. Genuine love, God's love, agape love, has boundaries. And those boundaries are abhorring evil and clinging to that which is good. 
sin and love at the opposite end of the pole. And if we keep them apart, then you and I will be practicing agape love. For to demonstrate love to the brethren, then we must abhor evil and cleave to that which is good. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Father, for um, its truth. Thank you here that, Lord, you reveal to us what true love is, what it looks like. In such simple terms, Father, it's abhorring evil and clinging to that which is good. And as we go through the rest of the characteristics, Father God, of uh, how we demonstrate our love to each other and our love to the world, we need to keep these two boundaries in mind because they govern everything else that's said in the rest of this chapter. Lord, help us to love without dissimulation. Help us to love sincerely and therefore cling to that which is good. Let's know as we close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.